Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Hey everyone, thanks for being here. We have one for the ages today. I reached out to a former acting teacher of mine, a brilliant teacher, actor, creative being, activist, mentor, writer, the list goes on and on. They truly embody the magic of what it means to be human. From the bottom of my heart to the farthest reaches of the known universe, please welcome Reg Flowers. Reg, in my opinion, has made a life and career out of getting people to look inward and helping them carefully pull out whatever they find. They are truly a sophisticated child at work. And in today's episode, we uncover many truths about the superpower of humility, building community, the perception of wealth, and the reward of living joyfully in each present moment. As I attempt to summarize what you can expect in this episode, I must just leave you with this. Do yourself a favor and listen closely to every word spoken today. We are so capable of great things. I am honored to share this remarkable human being with you all as we experience the infinity of living out loud. Enjoy. Hello. Forever no see. You look exactly the same as the last time I saw you. As do you. Absolutely ageless. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Pixie dust, painting in the closet, that type of stuff. How's it going? It is going so well. I am uh, I'm beside myself, truly. I am just so excited. I hope you have a little bit of time because we're going in. I have time. Okay, so right now what's going on, I'm actually getting ready to take a trip into Chicago for the weekend to visit a, you know, a, really, a really dear friend. It's my first time really traveling since I think I went to visit this friend really like when things started to settle down last year when everybody thought, oh, we're coming out. And then that, so then, so this is the, the first time that I'm really getting out of town since last something. Fantastic. And so that'll be nice. And like, it feels weird because I'm leaving in the midst of all this like stuff coming together and all this kind of building community stuff, which has been great. And people are getting vaccinated. Yes. We'll it's, see. It's happening. It we, is. If we start growing horns and tails, we'll <laughs> I'll take but it. We'll, all, we'll, we'll really be in it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's time for uh, the next level of human evolution. There we go. We're <laughs> a lot of Octavia Butler, too, so that's, that's useful. Yeah. You're prepared. Um, You're prepared. I'm ready. I'm ready. How long do you plan on spending out there? I will be there. Probably just for the weekend. Oh, oh, great, great. You know, it's like they say house guests and fish start to smell bad after three days, something like that. <laughs> so I intend to not overstay. Can't overstay. <laughs> um, even though this is a friend who's, you know, says, you know, yeah, no, stay. But you know how that goes. Oh, sure, yeah. I'm, see, I'm on the other side of it. I'll stay three weeks and I won't even ask. I'll just be like, I can sleep on the couch, right? Like, it's fine. I don't want to leave. <laughs> See, when you've got that, like, you know, I have that, like, long hindsight, like, I can look back and I can realize, wait, all those friends stopped talking to me. <laughs> so, yeah, let me, let, me, let me see if I can shift this, like, when, when, like, it's sort of like the last time you ask your friends to help you move. Right, right. You know that that was the last one. You know that was it. You don't get any more. 
Well, that that's going to be a ton of fun. And and so you're in Detroit, and you've been there for quite some time, yeah? I've been in Detroit. I actually came, I got, I mean, I've been living back and forth between New York City and Detroit almost, it's going on 10 years now. Oh, wow, okay, okay. Yeah, and so then, I think the first year that I was there full-time, was 2017 I spent a full year here because I was organizing the Pedagogy and Theater of the Oppressed conference here in Detroit and then I started doing six months here six months there and I was teaching in Manhattan and last year I came I I wanted to celebrate my birthday in my house like because I have a house here Uh and I'm like I want enough room for it there's enough room for everybody I've had a hundred people in this house so there's plenty of room to have like a big bash, big blowout bash, everything canceled. Uh, everything was canceled because it was March. Yeah. Oh, if you remember March, last March, that was when everything started. Yes. It's so funny because I knew that this birthday would be the reemergence because this was the first time that I actually had friends over. Absolutely. On fire. So that's, I've really been here for lockdown, which oh, feels. Yeah like strange because I love being in Detroit and I hate to think that it was just the place that I got stuck (laughs) but it's a little bit the place that I got stuck yeah no doubt no doubt I remember being in my office at MSU having conversations with my realtor preparing to buy the house okay and I feel like maybe that was the last year that I taught at MSU okay so probably when uh, around the last time we saw each other was the, was when Detroit started. So wow. I probably would not have had very many conversations with with you or any of the right. the uh, MSU crowd. Right, right. The first couple of years it was just I hope nobody else tries to set it on fire. And it was three or four years before you could even really be in there with any level of comfort. So wow. And now it's like I mean as you can see it's you know. It's all that. It's all that and more. Yeah, I I was just uh, reading something that Detroit is like the number one up and coming city. Like that is also affordable for young people and just like for expansion. And I'm like, whoa, here we are. You know, there's two sides to every story. You know, <laughs> The tale of two cities, right? Because there's some people who've been there for the past however long who are like, up and coming. I've been holding this city down for the past, you know, I've been holding my, I've been holding my city down. Where were you? Absolutely. So, um, a lot of that time, like when you, when they say up and coming for, it's usually like code. Code, code for or like, gentrification. Oh, oh, yeah. So in other words, like white people. Yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna, so white people are gonna be coming. You're gonna have white people here now, and it's so funny because it's you know it's the same story. It's it's been the same story for a long time. But um, I'm always surprised because even in a city that's like 80%, I think it's 80, 80% black in Detroit, okay. it's still like this little minority of like white people who have all the money. And it's like, how the hell did that happen? The disparity is not, the disparity is there, but because there's such a large population, like there was a whole movement like around the time Detroit had its first first black mayor back in the 70s after the the rebellion in 1969 so things have shifted and there's a little bit more um you see a lot of brown people in you know offices meaning like political offices but 
you know, odd, like the mayor right now in an 80% black city happens to not be African-American, happens to be of European descent. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way power gets, power gets moved back and forth. And like when, when it serves that minority to like shift things around, then then it shifts, but I'm not going to get into That's just my analysis. Yeah, I mean, and then, of course, growing up in Philadelphia when you did, I'm sure that uh, that was full of uh, disparity, and I'm sure Frank there... Rizzo was mayor. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard anything about Frank Rizzo, but Frank Rizzo was mayor. I think there's a documentary about Frank Rizzo called Black and Blue that has to do with yep. the, like, militarized police force in, in Philadelphia, and then we had Mayor Good, and the Osage Avenue bombing where they dropped a bomb on some row houses thinking that that would be a good idea for getting some squatters out of the house Mm. so yeah yeah so Philadelphia was an interesting place to grow up it's interesting now because I go back to Philadelphia at places that I grew up in that were like just there was a time when it it was just sad to visit some of the neighborhoods I grew up in that were for me they were just fun safe places we played in the street and then they really took a turn for the worse and now I go and they're all gentrified I'm like what the hell is this why are there when I see lights in the trees I get nervous (laughs) yeah it's it's like this whole issue of safety is before I even had a cell phone and my parents would, you know, I'd go to school and we'd stay late for choir practice or theater practice and maybe I wouldn't come home until like 10 o'clock and they trusted that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it was all going to be okay. Now it's like, you know, where are you every 10 minutes? I just, how have we both gotten more information and access but also like become so afraid? I don't know. I mean, what's interesting is talk about like all this access to information a lot of that information is terrifying stuff so if you're plugged in constantly and the message you're getting is danger will robinson then um i guess people are going to respond in like ways but i think another thing is that people aren't connected communities aren't connected communities don't seem to be connected like living in brooklyn for example i knew a few people on my street but I didn't know everyone on my street when I was growing up especially like all the kids we all knew each other we all played together there wasn't like this weird segregation but as an adult living in communities there was a lot more like you know this is me and my house and I'm from this particular socioeconomic background and you might be living there like you might have been in the neighborhood for the past three or four generations and we don't mix because you know i bought my house for you know 3.2 million dollars and i don't know why you haven't sold yours yet so that kind of thing so there's not the same kind of trust amongst neighbors so there's no sense that as your child is making their way to school they're passing the homes of people that you know who will also have their eye on them and they're walking with a whole bunch of other people from the neighborhood and now neighborhoods don't really work that way like, where can I afford to go to sleep? That's where I live. But my social life is based around a whole other set of circumstances. They're either a lot of what I see a lot is people's friends are the people they work with. Yes. Growing up, you know, I was fortunate enough to 
have friends in the neighborhood and, and we were, a lot of us were even the same age, like literally born in the same year, went through, you know, years and years of schooling together. So like, yeah, and their families were my families, you know, like it's, they, and it's just it's so interesting because I feel like you, from what I've seen outside looking in, you've devoted a lot of your time and skills and teaching and abilities to bringing people together and promoting community and uplifting communities. It's so interesting because a lot of it is like, I've been the same way since I was, since I was a kid. I like, I like to like, I like to start shit. (laughs) (laughs) I just like to start shit. You know what I mean? When I was, you know, I say stuff, like I say stuff to get people like, you know, to get people to, to gasp a little bit. Like I'm a, I'm a shocker. And I think I've been this way for as long as I can remember and for me the people around me have always been the most entertaining thing in my life like watching people interact setting up scenarios for people to do things together I was like kind of my way of playing with the group I was like I was always the like let's play house let's play doctor but not like just to kiss somebody I was like let's pretend I was like let's pretend and so um, sometimes they were adventures and sometimes they were just very sort of plain and domestic let's you know have tea together and what was interesting is that i would be you know this would be happening with cis boys getting cis boys to play house and these adventure games which was probably really unusual and i imagine that all of the cis male friends that i had growing up are very special people for having known me (laughs) not to like toot my own horn but i'm like they got exposed to some stuff really early that like a lot of people probably didn't get and i'm sure that like queer folks have been having that effect on people around them forever forever shaping the culture forever but yeah so there's so that whole thing that you're talking about as like community building as like I'm just fucking with people. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? For me, I'm just having a good time. And, you know, if people learn from it and grow from it, oh, what a blessing. That's right. so great that, that happens, but I do it anyway. Right, right. It's so much fun. That's the beauty of it, too. I mean, you know, so much of my thoughts, especially this past year of, you know, the industry being shut down has been, okay, you know, who am I if I can't perform? Because I can't, in the way that I've known to, you know, professionally can't do it. And it's all about refinding purpose. And that purpose for me is really how I behave and how I approach life rather than what specifically I'm doing. And I feel the same thing that you're saying is like, I discovered this idea of play and telling stories and creating something out of nothing way before I knew like that you could pursue acting as a career. And ever since I started studying acting, you know, <laughs> and and working and everything, I, I've moved very far away from that initial thought, which was I love people and I love telling stories and you know doing it anyway doing it because this is a part of who you are it's part of who you've always been and now we're able to craft that into something beyond just you know playing house and really make some real change because of it and it all stems from who you are yeah it's really interesting I mean another one of the pieces is like you have to pick before you even know what the world is you have to start thinking about what do you want to be and the truth is, like, what do you mean what do I want to be? I am. <laughs> I'm right here. Look, I'm right here. And if I had known, like, if like, if, if there was anything that I had to be so interesting, because last 
I've been dreaming about like this school has a, is like it's not a recurring dream about school, but uh, I've been recording my dreams for the past year. In fact, I'm, I'm hitting a year of recording my dreams, and having recorded them, I remember like certain things keep coming back, like the setting, like what is it, like South Park, and like I know my South Park neighborhood. I know who lives there. I know the street layouts. I know that when I'm here, it's like oh, this is going to be a dream about going to a restaurant or this is going to be this dream is going to end up at a bar oh this dream is going to end up at a school i just know i can kind of tell from the way dreams start the direction that it's going and my dreams have been more lucid and last night i dreamed about this really sort of reactionary fascist like school where everybody had to wear purple and it was like which is a really spiritual color but like people were being um harvested for their for this very particular small way of being and in the dream there was like you know the new mutants type of thing where people were busting out of that because they there were the ways that they could understand the world that were different from the way like sit down read it memorize it and then regurgitate it there's some people who just learn in different ways and what i'm coming to understand and I'm like, oh, the time that it takes, but no use crying over spilled milk. That, like, people are kind of bored geniuses. They're like bored geniuses. And then the world says, okay, can you make that fit with this? Like, what? can you label it for me? And you're like, I don't know how to label it. And it's like, well, well what does it look like? Okay, put, put it there, put it there. Like, people having their names simplified at Ellis Island. People have their, themselves, their their individuality um, renamed to something that's recognizable to the ears of the person who is trying to fit them in a category. And that's generational, right? We've been doing that and that's capitalism in some ways. And it's, you know, in some ways it's just trying to have a society that runs smoothly for whom yet to be determined. (laughs) But there is something in that, like trying to simplify things, trying to make things work for most people or whatever that means that leaves a lot of people including some people who can fake their way throughs really alienated and unable to navigate the world as it's been structured and I find myself now like living the most abundant life that I have ever lived just doing me just doing the same shit that I was doing when I was six years old and if I had known I would have I would have started the program Like a very small number of people who need a very 
And so there's this limited group of people who have most of us activated to do that and to manage their stuff when, you know, our lives, I think, are worth more than what we do for other people, but how we just, how we can just be and just being and having our being be enough to deserve to live. Wow. I mean, and, you know, how do we teach not only how do we teach, but how do we encourage people from the very beginning to embrace the fact that everything they have or need or desire is already within them waiting to be discovered and nurtured, you know, because and, – and I don't want to go as far as saying that like, you know, children are corrupted, but I, I just – it's almost like, you know, this beautiful child that is able to – make choices and follow instinct and do what makes the most sense to them is sort of sculpted along the way by the influences in their life to suppress those things, even subconsciously. Yeah, there's a really, Alice Miller, I think it's called, I think the book that I'm thinking of is the, like maybe it's The Curse of the Gifted Child, but Alice Miller talks about the fact that children are complete human beings. They have the consciousness of a human being but they are limited in the ways that they can express themselves and the way that they can even defend themselves and advocate for themselves so just imagine yourself not able to talk not able to reach stuff and at the mercy of giants who were constantly undermining you like you knew what you wanted and wanted to do and you just didn't know how to articulate it, but you knew, and you were surrounded by people who did not care, didn't have the patience to to understand you. And then even as you were able to communicate, using the words that they gave you to communicate, they constantly were saying no, you know, or move over, or laughing at you, laughing when you fell, you know, being condescending towards you, because, you know, it's like when adults speak baby talk to their kids it's like oh that's all cute and all that but this is just remember that that's a that's a, a person that's a that's a human being that is trying their best to figure out how to survive in this very new environment with dangers all around right dangers are all around especially if you're a baby right and so from the beginning when you said corrupted absolutely these individuals because it is expedient it is convenient for adults just move their children around like possessions than it is for them to really take the time to tune in and try to discover what is it that this little person who I've helped to usher into being but only helped because a lot of other stuff was involved like just the air that we're able to breathe we're not responsible for that so so we owe a lot to just what's out there how can I facilitate this being into being as opposed to like how can I make everything that this has to do work around my schedule and my needs so yeah that's pretty messed up it's a messed up way that's a messed up like you know you got parents become wardens as yeah. opposed to becoming the like guardians of a new soul that's it even just the description you were making about you know, adults versus children, I felt there are a lot of parallels to just how society treats people of color. Yeah, well, it's so interesting because I've been doing some work around healing adult survivors of 
dysfunctional families. And there's this piece of me that's like, whoa, wait a minute. There were like 300 years there where if you were black in the United States, your parent or guardian was the slaveholder. And people were not given the responsibility over the rearing of their own children. So it's not like if you were an enslaved person and you had a child that that child was you, that child belonged to the person who claimed ownership over you. And so I do think that there, but here's the thing, our whole society is structured that way. Those hierarchies exist everywhere and they play out in every arena. So when you're at work, there is this sense that your boss tells you how to dress, your boss tells you how to behave, your boss instructs all of your all of your interactions. You might even have a script for what it is that you can say, and your almost your minute to minute activity, depending on the type of person who's managing you, could be under heavy surveillance. So it's the extreme version of it is you know an institution like slavery, but it's not far from our education system where you show up for school exactly always everyone's behavior is being monitored and everyone is being asked to modify their behavior to the point where we're all a little bit you know that's i guess what they call living in a patriarchal society is that we live in a a society that tries to parent us yeah and i feel like you know we justify all of it Maybe it's a gross generalization, but I really don't think it is. We justify all of it for money. That's interesting. I I disagree with it being money because money just becomes a symbol. Money means like money has become a symbol that means life and safety. Right? <laughs> if I have money, I can live. And a lot of how life is translated is in buying stuff, right? I think we buy stuff because we think that that stuff is going to add some quality to our life. And happiness is somehow going to make that life seem more valuable, more worthwhile. But the fact is, aside from all those tchotchkes that we're spending money on, I think ultimately is, do I have a roof over my head? Will I be loved? Will I have enough to eat? And to have that anxiety reduced, which is what money does, or we think money is going to do, but I think that even if it was not for the transactional nature, like we do all this stuff so that we get this money, people might find another way to exploit. You know, there are other ways that we exploit each other. Sure, sure. Sometimes sometimes there's no money involved. Sometimes it's just, you know, how do we get somebody to stay with us? How do we get people to do what we want them to do? But money is, I think, the primary, it's the primary tool for engagement. People pretty much are sure that if they have money, enough money, they can get anything that they want. Like, I don't think anybody would be happy with a room full of bills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who would be happy just sitting in a room with, like, billions of dollars all around them? Ah, how nice. <laughs> I just sleep on these. And be, right? It's like, what are you going to do with the billion dollars? And that's, I think, what people are really after. I think people, you know, they want to buy that security. And part of that security is may be called happiness, but I don't think that's really what it is. I think happiness is, like... I'll, everything will be okay. 
totally. It's like peace within yourself, I think. It'd be, yeah, it's, oh, wow. Because, yeah, I think, and what sort of chasing after money and equating that to success or security has done, I feel, and it's translated into social media as well. I think it's it's a numbers game. You know, how big can I get that number to be? And it, it creates this dilemma because I don't think that it'll ever be enough. You know, our brains will always want more. We'll always see an increase and we'll be like, oh, that more is better. Yeah, because it's not just about today. That's, I mean, that's the whole money thing because it's not just about today. It's about like forever and all my generations to come, right? How, how can I make sure like, it's so interesting because I think about this, that um, Veblen wrote a book called the, the Curse of the Leisure Class or the Theory of the Leisure Class. And it was this thing where it wasn't just what you had. It was what you had and how many other people, how many other people had because of you. So there was the status system of the status of the self and the people who were taking care of you. And the leisure was like, I don't have to do anything. I have all of these people who now take care of all of my needs. So I, I can use my time in pursuit of, I can stare at the stars, I can stare at the sky, right? And then for me as an individual to have that leisure... Uh, it wasn't enough. I had to have now a partner who could do that. And like all of my kids had to be able to do that. And so there's this idea that there's this number where everything will be taken care of forever for everyone that I could ever love, right? All my generations. And so I think a lot of what's considered wealth these days is not about the individual, but it's about what they're going to be able to leave behind for all of their generations to come. And we have families that are... That, that's what they are. They're just somebody way back in the day did something horrible and now they are still like living off of that thing. So there's, there's no way because there's always going to be more, right? There's always going to be more people. There's no way you can account for everyone who might ever be. But I think people really do try. Absolutely. Well, it brought up an interesting thing, that theory, because it's this idea of ownership. And just like you were saying about parents with their children, it's like instead of thinking them of them as like a new human being coming to this world it's i this is mine and then we do it a lot in society we do it with our partners this is mine i'm really been thinking a lot about this idea and the concept of of future and like it's easy to obsess over what is to come and what i will leave behind and how much time do i have left and it's a distraction from from what we have right here in front of us yeah it's so beautiful because living in living in the now gets really a bad rap, right? It's like oh, it's like like it's a it's this like oh yeah yeah living in the now, <laughs> living for the moment. But living in the moment, trust that I'm doing the very best that I can right now, and the next person in line is going to do as good a job as me, right? I don't have to do I don't have to do it all right now. Somebody else is coming along, and they're gonna and they're gonna pick up where I left off. Yeah, and also that you know this sort of trust that a lot of things are messed up in the society that we live in. People don't necessarily benefit from their own labor. People can put in a lot of time and effort and not get anything from it. But if I'm living my life not for some reward, but just how am I? How can I make what's happening right now awesome? How can I make the right now? Like if I'm writing, how can I make this experience of writing so awesome? Like as entertaining and as just fulfilling as it can possibly be. And then if the book sells or not, I don't care. That's like whatever. 
you yes. know? And the hope is that the universe is has the intelligence that it seems to. It keeps us from flying off the planet to have it work out. Like, can you imagine? I was thinking, like, can you imagine some bee going from flower to flower, <laughs> wondering, "Oh, I hope I'm doing. I, I hope I'm doing this right." <laughs> Pardon this interruption for two influential and groundbreaking organizations. First, the James and Grace Lee Boggs Center in Detroit, Michigan. This nonprofit community organization aims to help grassroots activists develop themselves into visionary leaders and critical thinkers who can devise proactive strategies for rebuilding and respiriting our cities and rural communities from the ground up to demonstrate the power of ideas in changing ourselves and our reality and demystifying leadership. Please visit bogscenter.org for more information and ways to donate and show support. And another shout out to the Pedagogy and Theater of the Oppressed. This nonprofit organization supports people who challenge oppressive systems by promoting critical thinking and social justice through liberatory theater and popular education. PTO serves as a resource for oppressed peoples and their allies in diverse communities, contexts, and traditions around the world. Visit ptoweb.org for more information, updates on events, and ways to get involved. Not anybody. 
you can walk into a classroom and say, okay, all 10 of you, this is what I want. This is what I want you to consider. And can you throw all that energy just at that person and that that person was going to be able to be transformed for that? Like, not everybody can do that. Most people can't. Like, that's my thing. That's what I've been doing since I was six. I've been able to look around, see what everybody's doing, and be like, oh, do a little bit more of that over there. You did that over there. And um, so I didn't fit in any boxes. I was constantly questioning, like, whether or not I was a complete fraud and realized that that was not the case very quickly because the, the things that students were able to do in that context were just beautiful. And like, after a while, like, I didn't care. I didn't care because the work was just so gorgeous. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, never felt, never fit in the box. Sometimes did get found out, but like in the wrong way. Because I imagine now, like where I just left teaching now, they're like, oh, are you sure you can't come back? And teach because they figured out after, you know, after 10 years of teaching in that department, they figured out that, oh, that's the thing. That's, that's the piece that's making stuff work. But it took a long time for people to figure that out. I think for a lot of the people, because I wasn't teaching Meissner or Stanislavski or some other some other known technique, they, they were just confused. And now look, now I have to write a book so people will be able to do what I do after I'm gone. What I love about the techniques that I use, and I use them not just in theater, I use them in you know organizing as well, is get everybody get everybody engaged as you know as much as possible and the magic is when when i stop trying to make something happen and i just create a moment for things to happen and so like as individuals i think everybody gets to do that right not everybody's brain works that way but even if you're you know a computer programmer right right now the computer programmer is thinking about a deliverable for their boss but actually the computer programmer is facilitating an experience for a whole bunch of other people using a particular technology and so by getting out of our you know individual heads of like what can i do or what should i do or what do i want to do we can move into our heads of like what could happen here how can i help because like think about that's what that's what employment is right (laughs) that's what employment is it's like you are being of use to be employed is to be of use right and i think now people think of being employed as getting a paycheck (laughs) and not really thinking about like the the added value sometimes sometimes the person really isn't adding any value staring at a computer screen right and they're extracting value from other people. So I think that there is something beautiful about being of service is not selfless. Being of service is not selfless. It's the most, I want to say, the most connected one can be. I want to say the most human, but it's not just about being a human. But, like, that's what we do is we, we all click together and we and stuff happens because we've clicked together. We've either made it possible for the next generation to be here by, like, making them. Or not breaking all their stuff before they get here. You know, that's really all we... That's the, that's the only thing that's important. Is like, we don't break stuff so that the next people who come along won't be able to. So we have to, like... There's some work, some work that we have to do to keep it going. And we move stuff around where we can. You know, we're, we're part of the ecosystem. We're part of the ecosystem here. We're necessary, right? We're the ones that picks this stuff up and 
open over there. Like, yes. we're the, like, what do you call it? The fail-safe. <laughs>
for the sometimes 24 hours that you might spend in a creative process over the course of your lifetime. That's not seen as the valuable thing in the same way that like raising children isn't seen as a, you know, as a valuable contribution to society. It's, it's something that people are supposed to do because of their passion, right? I'm a creative person because I love it because I'm a big passion. You know, I take care of children because of my love and passion, but that's not how society extracts that value. Society extracts the value of raising those children by having a workforce. Yeah, I mean, really looking that in the face, I mean, almost on a daily basis and saying, I still have value. My life is still worth a whole lot just because I'm not collecting a paycheck every week and trusting that and and embracing that to the point that I can appreciate and love myself as a creative person and creative artist even when I'm not on stage and and returning to the belief that I know is true I know I believe this that I am meant to make a change in this world through human connection. I know it. I've put words to it before I decided I wanted to do anything uh, in terms of a career or a life path or anything like that. And and that's what you're saying. It's like remembering that it's that simple idea of how to connect and relate with one another. How can we make a change? How can we build this community? How can we service one another? I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's, and, I, and I love that, and I love that being able to, like, reaffirm, like, mutually reaffirm this idea that, you know, I, I, sometimes I say this, and sometimes I feel like it, it's a, maybe a little bit of an ableist thing, because there is, for every moment that we're, that we're here, like, there's, there's not, like, a, an extra planet out there, you know what I mean? There's not, like, there's not, like, an extra planet out there, there's not an extra tree, you know what I mean? There's not an extra particle of air, right? If it wasn't necessary, it wouldn't be here, and I have to think about myself in that way. If I wasn't, if I wasn't necessary, then I wouldn't be here. Nature's, nature doesn't waste time like that. <laughs> nature doesn't waste time, you know what I mean? Uh, nature doesn't waste time so the fact that you're here and the fact that your brain is working in the way that it's working nature you wouldn't be doing that if that wasn't somehow supposed to be a part of it so coming to like being able to come to terms for myself because like understanding that is not like the secret to joy right really reinvesting in in that understanding that i know yeah okay this is what i'm thinking right now I don't know, but I'm gonna just go with it because it's gotta be. You know what I mean? And and the and the scarier it is, and the further from the center, I'm gonna say whatever the center is, because there's not a center, because that that assumes that someone thinks that they're you know exactly in the middle of whatever the extremes would be, and it's infinite in either direction, yes. right? So um, the more danger, I think there is of an idea of mine being radical and I don't mean radical in terms of like upsetting people but forcing people to rethink everything yes about a particular topic those are the scary thoughts those are the things that make me feel like oh I'm worthless because no one's gonna like that idea that's the one <laughs> you know that's the one that's the one that when I do put it out there everybody's like whoa 
Oh my goodness, I was waiting for somebody to say that out loud. It was like, I've just been trying to articulate that. And so that's the struggle is to break out from this, like, you know, we were talking about money, the safety, break out of this illusion of security and really think of ourselves. We're part of an evolution, right? This is what, that's what happens is everything is evolving. Things change. Um, Octavia Butler in, in um, Parable of the Sower, one of the characters, uh, the main character, comes up with this concept that she calls Earthseed. And the like core belief is that God is change because it's the one dependable thing, right? So if the idea is that everything is already changing, then nobody actually knows what the next thing is going to look like. So we have to trust that we have the seed, like as we're becoming, as we marginalize ourselves because we think we're so different than everything that has been, we're probably on the right track because we're moving towards a future that hasn't been imagined yet. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine if the dinosaurs were like, we cannot change one thing. Like, that's why they went extinct, right? Because they weren't, they were like, no, whatever it was. So now it's like, we have to understand that when we're sometimes, when and I hate to use this word, but I use it all a lot, and especially in the titles of my writing, and I use this term crazy, right? And crazy being so far away from what is accepted by the majority as acceptable, an acceptable way of being and thinking. The acceptable way of being and thinking is probably already 100 years old, right? It's probably so, we've probably advanced already as a species, and so much, there's this reactionary, I want to say conservative reaction to, or a knee-jerk, fearful reaction to what is new, but we're always moving towards the new. So if we're afraid of the new, then we are afraid of the future, (laughs) and then we're just afraid of life. So we have to have our eyes open to, like, what is it going to be? We may develop, like, gills in our necks, right? So if somebody suddenly has a weird growth on the side and we're all like, ew, because it looks weird, then we're we're denying the fact that we might need some gills soon because we've done something to the oxygen. So, but again, that's not what is in in the mainstream. The mainstream, we're not getting the message that, change is everything that we are we're on a we're how fast are we hurtling through space on this ball of rock you know what i mean and so it's like things are moving so trying to stand still in the midst of that is what it sounds like and feels like most of us are trying to do and it's against our own best interest Certainly in my childhood, I was a weird kid. <laughs> the things that brought me joy were not the things that other people were involved with. And what I realized is that because, you know, people were, you know, there was the big propaganda machine that is advertising and the media are telling everyone who, how to be. And people were, were giving each other pats on the backs and prizes for being like that. And I got so much joy out of like being in a room making stuff and pretending and writing and creating and the thing that I think people likely experience as me being fearless is me being so distracted by the pursuit of joy that I forget that anyone's even watching right that I forget that people are watching and it does there are times when it does click in 
it didn't always click in because I, I always thought that I had to deliver myself through a recognizable channel. I had to dress a certain way, speak a certain way. I had to drop certain words. And that wasn't, that wasn't very satisfying. And one of the great things with my experience with, say, when I was working with all of you is that I, I had discovered a game system for teaching theater. So we were just playing games, but we weren't just playing games. There were very, very elaborately structured games that the idea of the game was to draw out character to help in the understanding of character and the complexity of character. And so when you're playing, it's like, you know, can you imagine like some kid like running around with you, ah! they're running, screaming, playing tag and all that stuff like that. Yeah, they seem fearless. And sometimes they trip and get hurt too because they're also not aware of the dangers that are around them. So I, I feel fortunate that I get safe places where I can play. So that's, I don't want to take all of that on myself. And then the other side, the intentional part of fearlessness is, um, and this is new actually, is that I realize, it's so funny because I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday where I was like, oh, if the government were compiling a dossier on me, they would be hard-pressed to find anything that I hadn't already shared with the public. Because by living out loud, how are you going to tell me? I told you. What are you going to tell me? I told you. So that's the other thing. It's like, even apologetically, but living out loud, even, even through the shame of it, at least you get to set the terms for how you might be perceived. How the story's told, yeah. How the story's getting told. And people may still loathe certain aspects of who I am but they won't they won't be able to say see you were something else yes you're right you're right and I'm realizing now that's what we sort of learned together when when we were in class was that there are so many different pieces of a character of a human being and at any point maybe we'll be called upon to access them and so how do we discover them within ourselves and and look at them and, and, and embrace them. And sometimes they're ugly qualities. And, you know, we have such an obsession with this idea of perfection, you know, to be perfect means to be flawless. And, and I think it's totally warped the beauty of humanity, which is to be flawed, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting because when you were talking about flawlessness, I was thinking about that Beyonce. There's a Beyonce clip that went around and it was Beyonce falling down the steps. And I'm like, that is probably one of the most memorable Beyonce moments. Not Beyonce walking flawlessly down steps, but Beyonce falling down and then getting back up yes. and continuing. I, I, you know, perfection is yawn, right? Because people want, even if it's a flawless performance, it's flawless because I believed it was human and right. flawed and right. broken and that there, it wasn't all safely packaged up. Right. That's probably why so much stuff, you know, I have a certain amount of things that I bought that never got out of the box because it wasn't about, it wasn't about the utility of the thing that I was purchasing. I realized very quickly, oh, I just bought that because, you know, it saw me coming. <laughs> it saw me coming. Yes, yes. I have a theory that in order to have this kind of understanding of just like, 
humanity and, and everything we're talking about, there's often a correlation to experiencing pain and loss and discomfort in its extreme. How have you experienced tragedy and pain and how have you not only healed from it, but evolved to sort of, you know, embrace that it's a part of you? That's a great question. Well, first of all, pain is a really great teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like touching, you, like you touch something hot, you know. <laughs> you will know. You will remember for a, a, a long time that it's hot. So that is one of the ways that pain is just really, really valuable because it teaches us, it helps us understand outcomes and consequences. And then for me, it's no, not so much that I have suffered through certain things in my life. I think that the, I'm going to say disappointments, and whether it was disappointed, disappointment because someone who was supposed to be, you know, a place that I thought was safe turned out to be unsafe, or any any number of things. Society being, you know, like the 400 years of you know persecution of people of you know brown skin people people um, from the diaspora in this country other all, all those things right painful things but for me they're like oh okay so that means that this other thing is bullshit so i don't have to pay attention to that so there's a liberation in in disappointment because then you don't have to like i don't have to be perfect because i know i live in a world that is incredibly flawed Sometimes super, super, super flawed and then walks around like, you know, thinking it's perfect, right? There's a thing. Capitalism wears itself like it's Sunday best. And it's like, if it looks, the butt is torn out. <laughs> and, you know, the butt is torn out of its pants because of all of the, you know, the mayhem that it's left in its wake. So for me, that is how things that I have suffered socially if everything was working, if everything was flowing perfectly, then I wouldn't be as um, prone to question mm. those things. But because I'm like, you know what? I don't like this the way it is. I just don't like it because yeah. it, it either hurts or it's uncomfortable or, you know, it makes me feel unsafe. And, and not everybody seems to be experiencing this the way that I am. So let me ask some questions. And I think once those first questions get asked, it's over. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting you say that because I always, even when I was younger, would always advise my friends when we were talking about like breaking up with a significant other. It's like as soon as you start having the conversation with your friends about how you think you shouldn't be with this person, it's done because you've already created the thought and you're most likely going to continue it and it's going to lead to action someday. And why is it, why do you think people continue to hurt themselves over and over? And like, not in a sense of like, why do people continue to touch the burning stove when they know it's going to burn them? Where where do you find people in, in that place and how do you assess them, I guess? All right. I'm going to start where you start. I'm going to use the relationship as, a, as an example. Okay. So in the society that we live in, it seems to me that there is one model successful relationship that is you meet someone and then they die. Like you, you're with them until they die or you die. Anything other than that is failure. And so if I'm moving through my life searching for the person that I can be with from now until the day that I die, however long that might be, 
might be willing to, that is the, the bar that's been set for all of us, we might find ourselves compromising a lot in order to reach it. And so in that same question, instead of having the conversation with the friends about, is it time for me to break up? If we, first of all, never had an expectation that this had to be forever, or that it had like that there was a certain amount of time before we reached the finish line with this relationship, then those decisions could get made without all of that pain, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, hmm, at some point, like if we didn't have to pretend to like each other, <laughs> if we could just like each other like we like each other, and then when we decide that we like someone else, we could just like someone else, and we could even still be liking this person while liking someone else. And I guess this is sort of like the the advocate, the polyamory, or you know non-monogamy even though like many relationships are non-monogamous without consent that what we call relationships might shift and until what we call a relationship can shift to something that's more I don't want to say realistic but just more loving (laughs) just more loving then yeah people are going to keep burning themselves on the stove because the space between them and the stove gets narrower and narrower you can't help but touch the stove if you're pressed up against the stove. And that's not to say that there are some people who just vibe off of like having their like small groups of friends or like one or two people that they hang out with. And that's what they, that's the way their brains work. And that's cool for them. And there are some people who kind of like need to bounce around from person to person. And you kind of see it in circles of friends, you see it in the way people engage with their jobs. You have people who are called consultants because they don't want to work for one organization. They want to be themselves and bounce around. I think that relationships are that way. And a lot of the way our lives are structured force us to modify our behavior to fit within this particular mold. And so the getting burned over and over again, I don't think is a choice necessarily. It's that there just isn't an option. People are trying over and over again to succeed as something that just isn't for them. So how have you evolved in your understanding of love and what it means to you now? Today is pretty good. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm not like, it's hard. It's a hard one to talk about in that I'm still learning. I'm still learning. What I found most recently is that I have to know what's mine and what's the other person's, right? Like, first of all, the other person's body, that's theirs. <laughs> that's theirs. The other person's feelings, that's theirs. The other person's desires, you know, that's theirs. What's mine? My own joy, my own hopes, what I am willing to do for another person, what I'm willing to give to another person is mine and what I'm willing to say yes to and what I'm willing to say no to all those things are mine and so if I can remember that then it makes being with other people a little easier and then in terms of like how it plays out in terms of relationships these days it's a little bit anarchistic because like I have I have friendships with people and I'm like hmm I think I might be attracted to that person, but there's no rush for me to see where that goes. And like, I might even talk to that person and be like, how 
would you feel about this? What would this be like for you? Like, you know, what, you know, what's your, what are your turn-ons? What are your, what do you like about the world? What do you not like about the world? And to be able to have conversations with someone without feeling like, okay, we're about to get on the relationship elevator and just go from floor to floor to floor. That might be it. That conversation that I just had with that person might be it. And if I can be okay with that, then it frees me up to make the moment that I'm with them amazing yeah amazing and i'm discovering like at this point in my life like two books later two books because I, I, I spent the last two years writing specifically about relationships and about the anxiety that i had gone through trying to make my relationships what i thought they were supposed to be and so putting all of that stuff down for i mean i had a friend come by yesterday and it was um it was somebody that i you know, I've been intimate with them in the past, and there was a little piece of me that was like, "Oh, I just don't feel like I don't feel like having sex with them. I don't feel like having sex with them." And I, and I was like, "I don't have to have sex with them. They can come over. It doesn't. Have, they can come over. There is no expectation of if they don't have to do anything for me, and I don't have to do anything for them. And we hung out, and we had a great time, and then they went, and it was great, <laughs> and it was fantastic. But there was, um, there was a." A uh, time when I would have felt obliged, like obligated to being something for someone. And I think that that's, that's where it's like, oh, I have to. No, I get to be for you who I can be for you. I get to be for you who I can be for you. And where I fall short of being able to provide what you need, you got to get it from somebody else. And I have to be okay with that. Wow. I have to be okay that's like, oh, yeah, I'm not a very good listener when someone's upset. In fact, it triggers me. You probably want to go to somebody else to, like, have that kind of a breakdown. It doesn't make me a bad friend. It doesn't make me a bad lover. It just means that don't come to me for that because I'm not good for that. But there's a bunch of other things that I am great for, and I want you to feel free because it's not a scarce resource. It's such a shame, the burden that's put on. And that's just it. It's because, again, it's like joy, chasing the joy. Like, your joy tells you where to go. Your joy tells you where to go. And it's so interesting because I, I also just recently, even with all of the, like, whatever has been going on, I found myself engaged with someone who didn't appreciate my joy. They were terrified of my joy. Uh-huh. And I thought, like, my immediate response to their fear was to, like, shift myself in some way. When what I should have said was, oh, you're not ready for me. Oh, hell no, <laughs> yeah. You're just not ready for me. Because, like, suddenly, like, my joy, you know, they, they didn't trust my joy. They weren't, like, they thought my joy was going to ask too much back from them. Like, I was going to I was gonna be looking for, like, some, you know, coin-for-coin coin exchange from them. It's like, no, I'm bringing this what I bring. Um, you, I don't expect you to bring that. And I let that really get me. I felt really responsible and then reminded myself, oh, wait a minute, I'm not responsible for their, their feelings. I'm not responsible for what they're ready for in the world. And lo and behold, you know, there were 12 other people standing behind me who were like, yeah, we're, we're waiting our turn. Yes, yes. <laughs> you give us, we want that joy. So, so, so just to be reminded that it's, it's not always up to the other person to remind you that you don't have to be everything to everybody that's where we really it's like taking care of our own side of the street sure and there's a real vulnerability in saying i can't do that yeah i feel like somehow we've been conditioned 
position to get these feedback from what's it like am I okay am I is this okay is, as opposed to just like what do I want I mean I still I still like especially when it comes to like love making if somebody says well, what do you want I'm like uh you know that's okay what you're doing is fine you know what I mean what you're, but like to really like allow my imagination to run wild envisioning what I really want what would really be a turn on and I don't mean just about sex but just like what would really turn me on and then trying to like kind of make that happen and I know that I can't make it happen perfectly but let me just work on that and chances are there's a bunch of other people who want to play that way too yes as opposed to me being like okay what are all the ways that I could play where do I fit but just be like you know what let me just, you know, it's like, I hate to be like all field of dreams. If they build it, um, if, if you build it, they will come. But the truth is, if you make, if you fashion the yourself as the being of your dreams, the people you're going to draw to you are going to be the people who want that. That is it. But I think in moments like this, it's important to remember just how many freaking people there are in the world, you know, like, and, and, and like, if you're feel if you're vibing on something, you're, you're going to find people that are vibing on it. Like, chances are, right. Yeah. Chances are. And it's like, oh, I mean, think about all the people that you've seen walking down the streets and you've wondered why that outfit, because that's what they wanted to wear. <laughs> and guess what? They're probably not the only person and they're probably going someplace where everybody else is going to be dressed the same way. <laughs> But we love to feel like, you know, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the, yeah. But that's, I mean, I think that that's also by design. That's how there are forces that benefit from us being so insecure. And the person who benefits the least from that is us. Like we really, like we really shine when we like put it all out there, you know, let those freak flags fly because everybody's a freak. Nobody is like anybody else. Yeah. Nobody is like anybody else. Everybody is their own creature. And the more you can just kind of take on the shape of your thing, the more it's going to allow those other. But while we're all trying to be squares or whatever, then just nobody knows what anybody, who anybody, how do you trust when you know everybody's being fake? You know everybody's being fake because you know that it's not working for you. So you have to question whether or not it's working for anybody else. I mean, that is it. I have a question. Are you or have you ever been a religious person? I think I'm religious right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say religious. I, more than ever in my life, I have a, I feel spiritually very grounded. Okay. I feel very sure in a connection to, like, I'm a piece of something amazing. And if I wasn't, like, a crucial piece, I wouldn't be here. So that's cool. And to know that I'm always going to be part of that thing. Like, I think about the fact that everything that has ever been is still here, right? Where does it go? It doesn't fly off into space. It's it's still here in some other form, but it's still here. So, I mean, I know that that's eternal. So I'm like, I will be here forever. Like, even if the planet explodes, I'll be here somehow, right? I'll still be here. And to me, that is so, so powerful and such a um, humbling as a superpower, like humility as a superpower. Like, if I can figure out exactly how I fit into this, I can't, I can't even think about the full picture. 
to this piece that I'm aware of, right? <laughs> Within this context that I'm aware of, which is part of like a universe that I'm never going to be able to figure out. If I can just figure out how I can fit in that, that's all I need to do. I don't need to do anything else. And to me, that's like really that's spirituality, and it ends up manifesting in like what I consider miracles, connections that get made, um, serendipity, coincidence that really I can't say there's nothing else out there. This is a well, well, well ass oiled machine that we're part of, right? I don't care who made it or what made it, but somebody put it, it got put together really, really, really well, you know? And if it's all accident, then accident is God. Right, right. If it's all accident, then that is God. Yes, yes. I I feel very similarly. I mean, it's, it's even just physically, literally true when you're put into the ground or, or, you know, incinerator or whatever, like you're still matter that is a part of this mat, this bigger mass. And it's just incredible to think it's like, okay, so then I guess my follow-up question is maybe like, what do you consider to be like a soul? Yeah. If you ask me tomorrow, I'll probably give you a different answer. But I love like, it. What I feel right now, and I always have to like, I'm the telephone. I have to like speak the words as they come. Yes. Individually, I don't think I have a soul. I don't think it's possible that I have a soul that belongs to me. I think that I borrow from like the greater consciousness, right? There's all these electrical impulses and all of these various things that were way before I got here and will be after I'm gone that are still going to be part of all of it. And I guess the soul is that which allows me to understand myself as myself and my guess is at some point I'm not going to be I am no longer going to be able to understand myself as myself and whatever it is that allowed me to do that will still exist uh-huh but I just won't be it's gonna it's gonna be hand-me-downs to somebody else not like reincarnation but okay. it's just like Whatever it is that allows, you know, whatever motor oil it is that's running through me that allows me to be me, it's going to still be. And whatever that is, because the shell of me isn't going to be who I am. I certainly don't, like, there's not a, I'm not going to be looking down on, I don't imagine myself looking down on people, and, but I do imagine that I will be with people. Y- yes. Oh, no question. I mean... Everything that we know as truth, I would say on the surface, is all based on the five senses, which is all based in this realm of reality. And in this realm of reality, man or, you know, Homo sapiens gave a name to everything. And so that level of reality may be the one that we exist in on a regular basis, but it's not the only level of reality is sort of how I consider it. And I mean, even just my name, even just the word man and woman, I mean, just literally everything, it's all just what we say it is, not necessarily what it truly is. Yeah, because I've been talking a lot about magic. You know, I've been been having sleep issues and I've been experiencing something called hypnopompic hallucinations. And they are... A lot of people experience them at different levels of intensity, but they are, you're waking up, 
and your body is awake. You open your eyes, but your brain still thinks you're in REM. So your dream continues while you're awake. And you've probably seen it represented in movies a million times. Somebody wakes up and then the thing that they were dreaming is what follows them out of the dream. Or you may have um, woken up and you find that you can't move or you feel like something is sitting on your chest. That's all part of this particular phenomenon. And so I've been experiencing it in a very extreme way so that like I will be awakened by someone shouting in my ear. But it was actually like the sound was coming from within my dream, but it felt like it was coming from without my dream. Or I've had like somebody had their hand on my shoulder, like feeling sensation hearing because it comes in all of the senses can be affected this way and so knowing that there's a name there's a scientific name for what this thing is doesn't like i hear that person there that person is there for me right and so from my experience it's no different than having company i for the last month or so have felt like i've had company in the house with me does it matter that there's not a person really there? It, like, likely it is having some kind of a calming effect on me. Is it possible that some force outside of my understanding, because I was here in isolation, has created this benevolent energy? My mind has created this benevolent energy to serve as company to myself, to keep me feeling keep me functioning to keep keep me being able to perform the task that i need to perform from day to day and to also help me get to sleep comfortably at night because i'm like oh i wonder if my i wonder if my you know imaginary friend's going to show up and there are probably a lot of people probably as children that happens naturally right kids invent these coping friends to help them do that and so by allowing myself to kind of be free the more i allow myself to be free from these external this is the way life is supposed to be i feel like i'm opening up to things that the mind will do like i don't have to like i can't go shopping every day i can't go drinking i can't do all those things my brain takes care of itself like my brain produces the dopamine that i need to experience joy without me having to you know to have the party or to, you know, hook up with somebody, you know, for sex or what. So it's like, because we often don't give ourselves the opportunity to see, I, I think you might have heard me say this, um, and I say this to my students all the time. I don't know. Your back might crack open and you fly around the room. I don't know. Show me. And I think that there is this thing where, like, who knows? One day we may just sprout wings. If we stop trying to fill the void with noise and nonsense. Oh, man. When you experience these things sort of out of body, does that in turn make you believe in sort of what you're doing in your day-to-day -day life more? Well, yes and. Yes and. Who's to say once my brain starts operating on this whole different level, what's to say that that is not how evolution is seeded, right? By continually avoiding our own inner experience, who's to say that we're not just like stifling or that we're that we are evolving in a direction that is not necessarily for our own good because it's being 
manipulated by someone who wants to extract value from us in a very particular way. Whereas, like, we might not even need this telephone. Yeah. We might not even need this telephone to be having this conversation and to be recording this conversation <laughs> and sharing this conversation with other people, right? And think about it. That's the perfect example. The perfect example is this. We're on this machine right now where we can see each other. The universe is way more of a boss than the person who invented this little, like, this is like a slingshot versus <laughs> the communication network that is natural, right? There's like, you know, mushrooms. Somebody told me this yesterday and it cracked me up. You know what mushrooms are? Mushrooms are the sex organs of the world <laughs> because there's this network and I, this network, mycelium, that runs under the ground, right? And when the conditions are right, it pops up in a mushroom. And those mushroom spores then have an effect on the things around them so that things like trees and plants can grow because they draw these nutrients from the mushroom. So the mushroom is basically having sex with other organisms so that the nutrients that are drawn out of the ground and shot up into these like trees and other things like that. And they found like salmon DNA in trees that were broken down from mushrooms. So the mushrooms were, you know, the mushrooms are, they're sending nutrients up into the plant. So that it's in it, but it's only when conditions are right. So that's what, I mean, if you think about it, mushrooms kind of look like sex organs or certain sex. Well, actually, they look like all different kinds of sex organs. But that system, that, that system, mycelium, under, under the ground mirrors our nervous system and it mirrors the shape of the universe as it's been determined so far. And then people make these networks that are a really clumsy facsimile of what nature's been doing for, you know, ever, <laughs> forever, right? Forever. But we, you know, we assume that because, wow, we're looking at each other on video. That's awesome. Without this invention, I imagine we'd have figured out some other way to do it. I was just going to ask you, could you pull a card for me? I'm going to pull four cards for you. Oh, I, okay. I, I'm, I'm yeah, very, I'm very I've excited. Shuffling them. I've been shuffling them as we've been talking. Oh, beautiful. I wish I could. Right. Let me let me just like reach out and touch them spiritually. Right. All right. So here's the card that I'm pulling for, me, for you. This is you right now. This is everything that we've talked about. This is the hanged man. The hanged man is about patience and sacrifice. It's about understanding that Sometimes a shift in perspective is needed. Sometimes we have to force it on ourselves. To hang upside down requires us to be relaxed. I think there's like all kinds of yoga positions that are that are about being upside down. And so making the choice to be at rest, to be uncomfortable in order to open up to something new. So that's you. And now I'm going to pull three more cards. One is sort of like the past. The other is the present. The other is the future. The past as energy that you might be moving away from. Dag on. This is the the hermit. It's another card from the major arcana. The hanged man is a card from the major arcana as well. There's big energy moving around you. The hermit has everything to do with um, solitude, seeking wisdom, drawing in on oneself, self-reflection. 
so the next card, this is now. This is the six of, yeah, it is. It's the six of wands. The six of wands has everything to do with rising up. It's rising above it. Here's adversity. And it's adversity, especially around one's creative life. Oh, it's like, oh my goodness, like there's too many things. I have too many ideas. And that moment where you kind of see it all clearly, you get up above it and you go, oh, this, I know how I can put these pieces together in a way that makes sense. That's what this card is about. It's also moving on from adversity, just generally speaking, moving on from adversity. The six of wands. So this last card, I'm going to say this is the question that I'm leaving you with. What to think about in terms of what's next? Wow. Damn. So interesting in terms of what we've been talking about, too. It's the five of swords. And in this particular deck, I think you can see that there's this worm that has been severed in these swords coming from all directions and we've talked about this I think we've talked around this idea but it's the ego and how sometimes to really manage change we gotta be ready to see all of this become something else and stop holding on to like what we think we're supposed to be how we think we're supposed to look and dissemble the ego disassemble the ego yes I mean (laughs) wow Call me in a week and let me know when you hit the lotto. You know, split it with me. Share it with me. I will, I will. Yeah, yeah, I really loved that reading for you, too. Sometimes I I pull cards for people and I I, I sort of bite my nails, but this was all a lot of really beautiful stuff. Like, I'm hoping that that hanged man, that energy that it has you in, is really something that you really have come to terms with beautiful changes yeah thank you for doing that and 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 sharing yourself with me i mean i can't even express any like i have no words like i just i am so thankful for you reg thank you so much thank you for uh, thank you for spending this time with me i don't even know how much time has gone by but i've enjoyed every second of it every second i look forward to us being able to you know, when the world is normal again, who knows? I might actually see your face. That would be a dream. Real world, in the real world. That would be a dream. That would be a dream. Bye now. Bye bye. And here we are. I remember saying towards the end of the conversation, this part didn't make the final cut, but I said, I don't want this to end. And then Reg calmly responds, Oh, but all things must come to an end. And the simplicity in which he spoke eased my mind immediately, because although this conversation came to a close, a new one would begin again someday soon. Reg's ability to balance calmness with passion is truly a gift, and they have inspired me to continue. That's it, just continue. I feel afraid and discouraged and frustrated, and yeah, I feel all of that. But I won't let that get in the way. I'll bring it along for the ride, actually. But I'm moving fast, so watch out. Now, in reviewing this episode, I wrote down like at least 50 different impactful phrases from Reg's mouth, so I encourage you to listen again. You will surely gain something new each time. Of all the things I could repeat to close with, I, I think that this is most important, at least right now. Nature is so awesome and powerful and intricate and 
basically flawless, or at least in the sense that its flaws also serve a purpose. So I'll say that. Nature is purposeful. And whatever you believe in or don't believe in, we are a part of that nature. And it does not waste time. So if you were not an integral part of this nature, of this world, you wouldn't be here. But since you are, know that you are necessary. You are needed to do big, great, wonderful things. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, write comments and reviews, and share with friends and family. The best place to reach me is on Instagram at Sharon Feelings. Message me anytime. Take care and I'll talk to you soon. Sharon.